I hope you're well this morning. My name's Sai. It's great to, to be here with you all. Can I just add my thanks to all of you who have given uh, sacrificially and faithfully to God? Do you know, God sees and will reward you for the measure of faith that you have, uh, that you have given with. You know, God himself is a cheerful giver, and he calls us to be cheerful givers. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 to 8, and, uh, and uh, verse 10, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And it goes on to say this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God will bless you as you have given in faith. It may, it may not be materially speaking uh, here and now, but God will make sure that you have all that you need. So thank you for giving faithfully. We pray God's blessing over that special offering that we've had for future works here and for repaying of some loans. And we just uh, we look forward to all that God wants to do amongst us. Anyway, who here, this requires honesty, okay? So are you ready to be honest, people? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Uh, it's Rod's birthday today. Are you ready to be an honest birthday boy? Good, good. Okay, who here can remember being scared of the dark at some point, maybe just for a brief period in their life? Who here? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, see. Most of us were, at some stage in our life, we were scared of the dark. And, and if we weren't, we can remember a sibling was, you can uh, bring the, the PowerPoint up, there should be a picture of a child looking frightened uh, in the dark there somewhere. But, uh, um, and most of us were, or a sibling or a friend was scared of the dark. You know, those normal household noises, a squeaking floorboard or the rattling of pipes, the gentle whistle of a gas boiler, the moment the light goes out. This is very pertinent to me and Anna at the moment after having a broken night last night. But um, uh, the moment the light goes out, it becomes the evil rattling of a rattlesnake monster coming to get you. And you tell yourself, no, no, I'm just being stupid. It's just because the light has gone out. You know, you know it can't be real. And you just sort of calm yourself down again as a, as a young boy or, or, or girl. And then the noise happens again, and then there's a rustling at the window, a squeak in the floor, board above, and it's all too much. And in most normal settings, what happens next? Mommy! Daddy! And then your parent comes, the one who loves you, and the one who you feel safe with, because you know they're going to protect you, and they reassure you, and they, they comfort you, and they maybe leave the hallway light on, and then you can go to sleep safe in the love of your parent and the light that is on outside. And my friends, today we're beginning a new series on the letters of John that he wrote. Uh, and at that time, there were real monsters in the form of people 
who in the moral darkness of the world around us were actually hurting and harming the church of Jesus Christ. And the main theme of these letters, hence why my little story there, uh, was love and light. And look, Katie Rummery, she's so clever, she's made us little candles with love and light on them for you to take afterwards to remind you of the main theme of the series. Aren't they pretty? Very nice, very nice. So you can take one of them on, yeah, on your way out to remind you of the theme. But John reassures the church that God is in control and that he is love and he is light despite the present darkness of the world around. The theme of 1 John, according to William Barclay, can be summed up just by quoting a few verses from his book. He, He writes this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is love, and that love made him love us before we loved him, and made him send his son as a remedy for our sin. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, let's uh, open them to 1 John. And I'm just going to read the first four verses to us today. So it says this. If you don't, just, just listen to these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father And with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the word there for fellowship that he uses in in the Greek is normally only used for in the marriage relationship. So it's an intimate fellowship that we have with each other as church and with God the Father. Just think that's uh, wonderful. And today... There's just two simple points I want to bring to you this today. That firstly, it's all about Jesus. And then secondly, Jesus gives us fullness of joy. Amen? Amen. So the three letters of John were written by John, the disciple of Jesus, the son of Zebedee. Some people would like to sort of speculate, oh, no, it's by another guy called the Elder John. But actually early church history and the internal evidence of the letters shows that it was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. John Calvin writes this about these letters. This letter, about one John is writing in fact, is altogether worthy of the spirit of that disciple who above others was loved by Christ so that he might exhibit Christ as a friend. us. Listen to how similar some of uh, the themes are in the beginning of John's gospel to the four verses I've just read. So in 1 John it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, or the only Son, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Light, darkness, life, an eternal life. Jesus, uh, the Word becoming flesh, that what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon, what we've touched with our hands, grace and truth, love and light. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. The Son comes to make us know the Father. You can see the themes are very, very similar in these two Gospels. In fact, one theologian says that the theme of John's letter is that the Christ is Jesus. And yet the theme of his Gospel is Jesus is the Christ. So the letter focuses on that the Christ is Jesus, and the gospel is that Jesus is the Christ. You see, there were different cultural contexts that the gospel and the letters were were addressing. There were different challenges that, that people had. In the gospel, the main issue that the Jews had with with Jesus, can be summed up in John 10, verse 33, where it says this, It is not for good works that we're going to stone you, but it's for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. That was the crux of the issue that the Jews had with Jesus, and ultimately why they stoned him, because he claimed to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And today, in the world we live in, Jews, Muslims, and some atheists would be very happy with us if we were just, you know, sort of just accept Jesus was just a man, maybe a good moral teacher, maybe even a a prophet. They would be fine with that. Yet from the opening of the Gospels to their closing, they make it very clear that Jesus is much more than just a man. He is the anointed Son of God. He is the Christ, the promised one who is to come. Or to put it another way, he is the God man. However, just as you see in the Gospels, Jesus didn't walk around saying, hey, by the way, Son of God here, listen to me, I'm the Son of God. Actually, he was very careful how he did it. He let Pete, he drip fed that truth into people's lives. Can I encourage you, when you're speaking to, if you've got Jewish friends or Muslim friends, can I encourage you to adopt that approach and drip feed the truth about Jesus in their lives, just as we see demonstrated by 
by Jesus himself. The Gospel of John, though, is clear to us that whilst Jesus took on flesh, he had always been. Right there from the opening chapters that I read, he is the creator of all things. He has authority over all things. And he is the one that ultimately we need to surrender our lives to. Because he will come back and judge the living and the dead. The issue that God is concerned with, above all other things, is what did you do with my son, Jesus? Because he himself took on himself on the cross the divine punishment for all the things that all of us have done wrong. And he was raised three days later because death had no hold on the sinless Son of God because he had overcome it. He had conquered sin and death through his sacrificial death. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who put their faith in him. And that applies to all you believers sitting here today. We've received that through our faith in him. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, that is on offer here to you today. However, when we come to the letters of John, the context is slightly different there. They had different cultural struggles in the Roman Greek culture of of, uh, where John was writing to in a town called Ephesus and uh, and around there. Their their struggles were, were different. They didn't struggle with that Jesus could be the Son of God. That wasn't a problem to them. What they struggled with was that Jesus was a real man, or more precisely, the Christ was a real man. You see, they, back then, didn't really view the, view the physical world as very important. In fact, many of them viewed it as evil, created by a lesser God. It was all about spiritual encounters that gave you special spiritual knowledge that made you a special person, set apart from everybody else. That was the flavor of the day. So much so that it led many into ascetism and that sort of lifestyle where they would deny the body, they would not eat very much, they would live in lonely places, and they would do harsh things so that they could focus just on the spiritual stuff because that was all important. Whereas other people, their view was, well, if, if, if it doesn't really matter about the physical world, I can do what I like with my body and I'll give myself to, to drinking and to, and to eating and to, and to sexual immorality and all that sort of debauched behavior. So that was the two things that were sort of going on in and around Ephesus at that time. In fact, the early church history tells us that there was a certain guy who John sort of had some issues with called Serinthius. Now, this guy taught this. He taught that the world was not made by the supreme God, but by a lesser power. That Jesus was born not of the virgin birth, but of a natural relation between Mary and Joseph. But he was more righteous than other people. And at his baptism, the Spirit of Christ came down upon him. So the Spirit of Christ is different to to Jesus. And he gave Jesus power to do miracles and all that sort of thing. And then just before he died... The Spirit of Christ left him, so he left him to die by himself, and he died on the cross. That's what Serinthians was teaching. And in fact, there was, a, there was an occasion, apparently, when the Apostle John was going in the, into a Roman bathhouse in, a, in um, Ephesus, and 
he realized that this chap was within the building and he ran out saying, let us fly from this place and least, unless the house fall upon us because Serinthius, the enemy of the truth, is within. So you can see right from the start of John's letter that I read to you, he's beginning to highlight the truth that counteracts these false teaching of his day and of his time, that Jesus had come in the flesh, that John himself had seen him, had touched him, had been with him. And Jesus was proclaiming to them that they could have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And this is what gave them eternal life. It wasn't just for special people at a special time. It was for all who wanted to enter this relationship with them. In fact, in, uh, in John's Gospel, he states this. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Eternal life is summed up not in you doing something, but in you knowing God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, study is very important, but it's not about study. You get to know them through surrendering your life to them. And then you can study them a bit more and, and learn about them more. But actually, it's, we come through it through surrender. In the opening of 1 John, he makes it clear that this is on offer to all people. So, from, from that that I've told you, what, how can, what can we apply to our situation, to our lives, here and now? Well, quite simply, it is all about Jesus. And just like the apostle was wanting to proclaim him to the people, we need to be proclaiming Jesus to those around us. There's no other way for anyone to get right with God, you see, other than through Jesus. You can't even have fellowship with God without going through the Son, without knowing Jesus. John makes clear, and we need to make that clear to people, the fact that Jesus, although he was a historical figure, Actually, he is the person of history that we all need to know. That eternal life and truth are found in him. And our mission as Christians is to live for Jesus and to proclaim Jesus to the world around us. But secondly, and this is important too, notice how in both contexts, what the Jews struggled with in the gospel and what the Gentiles struggle with in the letter was different. It was different due to their culture and due to their world, the worldview of the world around them. What things are considered right and wrong. What, can, what things are considered the way things should be or the way things are. And you see, as no culture in the world has a, is universal, it doesn't go across the whole world. And in fact, no culture in any society is static either. You would have all noticed this in the, in the room. Certainly, if you're over the age of 30, you will, you'd have noticed that what the UK thought was right and good 20 years ago has massively changed in the last 20 years. And if you went 40 years before that, you'd realize it's changed even more dramatically to what it is today. And guess what? In 20 years' time, culture, what's right and wrong, will have changed dramatically again over the next 
20 years. You see, our culture, our understanding of, of right or wrong affects what, what we think and what the world around us thinks. It, and we're partly shaped by it because we don't exist in a vacuum. It influences us, the culture around us. And the constant challenge to the Christian of any generation is to ensure that our thinking and our teaching is ultimately based on the revealed truth that is in Scripture, in the Bible. It's been recorded in here by God for all time. And this is what should shape our thinking and what we believe is right. It's the Bible that guides our understanding of right and wrong. The Bible is our map, our road map, if you like, through life. We're called as Christians to let the light of God's word shine through us to the world around us. If we build our lives on the solid foundation of God's word, not the shifting sands of, of contemporary thinking, then you will stand firm through the storms of life that come your way. And they always do come. Don't let the current culture, cultural value system be what you build your life on. Don't let it affect how you view God's word. Because if you do that, you will ultimately be the loser. My friends, as Christians, you can build your life on God's word. We should be risking our lives for God's word. And we should, if we're called to it, even give our life so that God's word can shine out to us brightly to those around us. And what happens when we do this, when we live for Jesus, proclaim Jesus, and build our lives on God's word? Well, verse 4 gives us the answer. Our life is filled with heaven's joy, which is my last point. Jesus gives us fullness of joy. So if you look at verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy, and when he writes our joy there, it's including himself and the people he's writing to. So some, some translations say, translate it your joy. So our joy, yours and mine, may be complete. That word there, complete, in the Greek, comes from the root word is, is a word called plero. And this means to make full or to be filled to fullness or to be filled to completion. Isn't that wonderful that God, apart, not, not, God is not a killjoy. He is wanting you to know real joy in your life. Now, Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Same root word used there in the Greek, that your joy may be full. John 17, verse 13, when he's praying for his disciples, just before he goes to the cross, he says this, But now I am coming to you, his Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Exactly the same Greek word used again, as John says, 
for our situation here. Jesus gives to his followers fullness of joy, just as he also gives fullness of life. It says in John 10.10, one of my favorite scripture verses, he says that I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness, as the Good News translation puts it. It's the devil who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy people's lives. No matter how sugar-coated his truths are, that is his aim. And John is writing that we may actually know the truth and that the truth will set you free. Jesus, John tells us, is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. And he wants you, as his followers, to know his joy in your lives and to know his life in you. He wants you to know fullness of life. And he wants you to have that. These are found in him, not in the current cultural values of our society. And, you know, to me, one of the saddest things in the media's promotion of the transgender issue that's going around in society at, at, at the moment, that's being pushed on society, is the suppression and me, the media's deliberate silence of the sheer volume of evidence and medical expert advice that shows that how medical intervention is actually leaving people more confused, more isolated, and more unhappy than they were before. The post-operative suicide rate of people who identify as trans is alarming. As is the emerging evidence that people who have had the surgery a few years later go on to have, try and get the surgery reversed, but some things that have happened can never be put back or undone. Far from leading people into fullness of joy and life, the growing evidence, which is sadly being deliberately silenced, would imply that this approach is destroying lives of the, these people. The current, the current media narrative that is being pushed on people is actually not loving and it is not helping people who identify as trans. Whereas with Jesus, there is love and there is help for all people. In Jesus, there is fullness of joy and life. He is the answer to all our issues, whatever those issues are in life. As we die to ourselves and as we live for Christ, we find that we have a new identity in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Because ultimately, your body was not made for you. It was made for and by God. And Jesus gives us eternal purpose and significance as we live for him. He, sh he shows us the huge, huge value that God places on each one of your life. You may not feel like you're very much, but God places an eternal value on your life. The Bible makes clear how God has intricately made you unique 
in your mother's womb. That's how, how involved God was in it, the Bible says. Even though Jesus makes clear that in this world, you will face trouble. We all are called to, to face trouble as we live for Jesus. He says, take heart, for he has overcome the world. So as you look to Jesus and follow Jesus and live for Jesus, he's the one who gives you fullness of joy, a fulfilled life, a life full of meaning and worth. So whatever issues you are struggling with here today, and we all have issues that we we struggle with, whatever things you may find difficult about God's word here this morning, can I encourage you to base your life on Jesus Christ and on his teachings? Because if you do that, Jesus says, you'll be like that wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms of life came, the house stands firm. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know, 2,000 years later, Jesus' words are the most read words in history. The Bible sells more copies than any other book in each year. His words will never pass away. You can trust him on that, and his words are totally reliable. So can I encourage you like Proverbs 3 encourages us to do. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding or the current cultural understanding of our time. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. If you're a Christian here today, and you know that in your life, or in your thinking, you've deviated from Christ, from living for him. Let's just take a moment. Just, just bow your heads. If that's you, and you know that's you, just take a moment to just align yourself with Jesus. Again, ask for his forgiveness. He's eager and ready, like that, that father, to to wrap his arms around you and offer his forgiveness. Choose to align yourself to him this morning. And if you don't know Jesus, or you've been, you did and you've gone far away from him, and you want to surrender your life afresh to him this morning, and you want to start knowing that fullness of joy that John writes about in his opening uh, verses of this letter, then just pray this in your hearts along with me, because God knows what you're thinking. Just pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that I may be forgiven. Please forgive me of all that I've done wrong and through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to know this fullness of joy as I live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, then can I encourage you to either come and grab me or to speak to the person who brought you here. You know, the Bible says that we believe in our heart and God knows our thinking, but then we confess with our mouth. And we'd love to give you that book that Duncan mentioned earlier, Why Jesus, just to explain a bit more 
about what you've done here this morning. But my friends, in, in conclusion then, fullness of joy comes through fellowship with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, as life is ultimately all about God. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the band to come back up here?